Let's pray before we pray. <coughs> Father, thank you for allowing us to be in your house today. We thank you for calling us to come together and worship together as brothers and sisters in Christ. We thank you for giving us a desire to be here. We thank you for the health and strength to be here. And we know that there are those who, who can't be here because of uh, health issues. And Lord, we ask that you'd be with them, that you'd touch their bodies. But Lord, as we, uh, as we gather together, we pray that you would teach us from your word this morning. Show us the things that we need uh, to be more effective servants for the Lord Jesus Christ. Draw us into your word, and we pray that day by day you'd give us a, a greater desire to read it and study it for ourselves. And so bless this time of study together now, Lord. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So the last couple of weeks, uh, we've been studying, uh, two weeks ago, I guess, the introduction to the Holy Spirit, and we talked about what he was, what he is to us. We talked about his distinction uh, among the, the members of the Godhead. We talked about his activity in our life. He's not just a he's not just a force. He's not just a, an influence. He's active in our lives. He is uh, very active. He's relevant. There are people who would tell you, "Well, yeah, I understand the Bible talks about someone called or something called the Holy Ghost or the Holy Spirit," but. I don't know how relevant that is to me. He's very relevant in our lives. We talked about that. We talked about how he is a member of the Godhead. We talked about his continual presence among us and how he, he lives within us as, uh, as his temple. Our bodies are his temple and how he works in our lives. And we talked about one of the things that he, that he does was he illuminates Scripture to us. He helps us to understand it. Well, last week we went, uh, looked at, a, at Scripture itself, the thing that the Holy Spirit illuminates. And we talked about uh, how... The Scripture is our sole authority for matters of faith and practice. We don't have to have any other documents to go along with it. We don't have to have the, the human traditions of, of our religion. We don't have to um, take the things that some prior religious leader in our denomination or our or Christian uh, belief, we don't have to have that framed and look at it every day and say, that's the way I'm going to guide my life. That we, we guide our lives by the Scripture. That's all of, uh, of what we need. Well, today I want us to, to look a little bit more at the Scripture and look at the, the, the concept of the inspiration of Scripture. That's the reason that we can hold it as our sole uh, source is because it's been inspired by the Lord for us to, uh, to give us the things that we need. And so the, the important thing we have to remember is that God chose to communicate to people. He didn't have to do that. He could have set the world in motion like some people think that he did and just stepped away from it and said, okay, I, I created it, now it's yours, do what you want to with it. But that's not what he did. He didn't just step away from it. And he didn't leave us to ourselves. He chose to communicate with us. And so, you know, why wouldn't we want to, to better understand what it is he left for us, how he chose to communicate with us? And so this morning I would like us to just take a look. And much of this may, hopefully, will be review uh, for all of us, but I think it is good that we review it from time to time so that we understand this is God's Word. It's not ours. It's not uh, just words that, that people decided to write down uh, for us. And so the, one of the first things I'd like us to take a look at is just some of the theories of inspiration because some of them are out there. You know, we were talking about last week about how there are people who, who say that they need uh, the traditions of their religion or they need the words that the Pope would say for the Catholics or other people alongside the Scriptures. And some of those are just way out there thoughts. Well, when you start talking about the inspiration of the Word of God, it gets a little weird too. There's uh, one theory of inspiration is that it was, is, is called natural inspiration, which simply means there's no supernatural involvement in the Scriptures themselves. 
uh, essentially what it says is, well, the Bible is good. It's got some really good stuff in there. It was just written by some really smart people. Well, that doesn't doesn't quite rise to the occasion of something you want to hang your life on, does it? Just, well, you know, some smart guys got together. There was this guy named Solomon, and he had some... He, some, he was a pretty wise guy, and he wrote down some proverbs, and you know we can follow that, and that'll be good. Uh, it's not good enough. I want to. I want to know that it's the word of God that I'm guiding my life by. So that's uh, one of the theories. It's just natural inspiration. God didn't have anything to do with it. Just some smart people got together and they wrote some stuff down, and then some other smart people came along and they collected it together and said, "Okay, there it is. It's a Bible. We can we can do with it." Another uh, theory of inspiration is mystical theory of inspiration and that simply says God created the or he gave he granted a deep theological insight to a select few of people and those people could write down the scriptures and no one else would ever have that kind of insight and once they got finished with it it would be done well that that's kind of impersonal isn't it we think that the Lord worked in the lives of people as they wrote it down he didn't just give them this this insight and say now I've given it to you run with it and create the Bible. So that, that one doesn't quite do it for us either, does it? Then there's a theory of inspiration called the dictation theory, which says that the, the biblical writers were they were just passive instruments in God's hands. And they wrote exactly what he told them to do. They didn't have to think about it. It's almost like they were typewriters or word processors and God was keying in the information. That was that that doesn't quite do it either, does it? Uh, God did as he inspired the writers, he inspired their thoughts. He inspired um, them to use their natural abilities and that sort of thing. He didn't just dictate uh, through them. Now, we do have to note uh, along those lines, some of Scripture was dictated uh, verbatim. We do know that. When God gave the Ten Commandments, he didn't leave that up to Moses to frame the wording the way he wanted to. He said this, thou shalt not do this, thou shalt do this. And different things like that. And there are other parts of Scripture that's very clear that God said, these are the words, write them down. Write them down exactly as I give them to you. Don't, don't fear any way at all. So some of the, the Scripture we can say was dictated, but not, certainly not all of it. There's another theory of uh, inspiration. It's, it's called partial inspiration. And that says something like this. Only the unknowable parts of Scripture had to be inspired. Well, what would be the unknowable parts? Well, it would be like we know that, that Moses wrote the first five books of the Bible. Moses wasn't there when God created the heavens and the earth, was he? So that would be unknowable. So God would have to inspire that in order for Moses to be able to write it down. Moses wasn't there when uh, the flood came in Noah's time. So God had to inspire, would have had to inspire that. And so this, this partial inspiration said, well, God would only inspire the parts that the, the person who was writing didn't personally know about. Any secondhand information, that sort of thing. Another theory of biblical inspiration is it's called conceptual inspiration. And it means that only the concepts of Scripture are inspired, not the words themselves. In other words, the, the, the idea of redemption or the idea of justification by faith, the idea of atonement, those kinds of things, those ideas were inspired, but not the words themselves. Well, that, that's not quite good enough either. I don't think that's something we want to hang our hats on either. There's a, a neo-orthodox theory of inspiration that said the uh, because there were human authors, there are unavoidable errors in the Scripture. They have to be because we're all fallible. So we'll, the, whoever was writing the Word, there's errors in there, and they're all over the place. 
well that certainly to, for someone to give me this book and say this is what you need for faith and practice but it's full of error so be careful now you hear that, that, doesn't, that doesn't do it for me how about you so we, we can, uh, I think we can say that the neo-orthodox view of inspiration is just it's bogus then there's a seventh theory of inspiration it's called fallible inspiration and that, this one's kind of like uh, the uh, neo-orthodox it says that scripture is inspired but not without errors. God inspired the writers, but there's still, there's still things in there that are wrong. There are errors in there. Again, I don't want to hang my, my hat on that, do you? I don't want to, uh, to base my life on something that, <clears throat> that those who, who claim a, a theory of inspiration say, yeah, it's inspired, but it's, it's got some errors. So we'll just, we'll just move around those and we'll just look out for them. Well, who among us is wise enough to figure out where the errors are? Uh, I don't think that, that a God who would choose to communicate with us would choose to do it with a book or a set of books that had errors in it. That would be foolish, wouldn't it? And we do not serve a foolish God. So there's a, another <clears throat> explanation that, that is far better for us. It's called the verbal plenary uh, in view of inspiration. It says that Scripture is inspired. The individual words of Scripture are inspired. The men who wrote the, the Word of God, He inspired the words that they would use. And then when they took those words and they put them together into ideas, phrases, sentences, paragraphs, that was inspired. And then when they took all of those ideas, those words, those ideas, those sentences, paragraphs, and they put them into individual books, those books themselves were inspired. All of it was inspired by God. He wasn't just using, He wasn't just dictating, he wasn't forcing the men, the authors, to write specific words, but he did inspire the words that they used. He guided their thoughts so that what we ended up with was the exact message that the, word, that, that the Lord wanted us to have. And that's called the verbal plenary view of inspiration. We, we do know, and I'm going to read a few verses if you want to turn here, 2 Timothy chapter 3. You're very familiar with these verses, I'm sure. What we know is that um, Scripture was inspired by God. <clears throat> it was God-breathed. 2 Timothy 3.16, we start reading there, all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, truly furnished unto all good works. We talked about that verse last week. And that term inspiration, it's a Greek word. It means, or the Greek word is Theopneustos. Theos, it's a, it's a compound word made up of theos and neustos. Theos is, is God. Neustos, it's, it's spelled, and, and you might recognize this, it's P-N-E-U, as we get our, our word pneumatic from it. It's a, a pneumatic tool is a tool that is powered by air, right? So what it's saying is, that the Word of God was inspired in such a way that God breathed it out as He communicated the ideas to these people. And so they picked up God's ideas and they put them into the Scriptures. 2 Peter 1 verse 20 says this, No prophecy of Scripture is of any private interpretation. For the prophecy came not in old time by the will of men, or will of man that is, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. So Paul writing to Timothy, he said it's the Word of God came by the inspiration of God. He breathed it out. Peter is saying that the, the holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. 
So the, the Spirit of God moved men to, to record the Word of God to us. That's how He chose to communicate with us in these days. There's a warning here, though, in, in 2 Peter 1, verse 20. It said, No prophecy of the Scripture is of any private interpretation. We have to be careful with that. When I was in school, I don't know if you guys may have had this same thing in English class in high school. We would read book. We would be given assigned reading assignments. Go read 50 pages of this book tonight. And tomorrow we're going to discuss it. Oh, I hated that. I really did. Because it was like, what do you think the author was thinking when he wrote this paragraph? How about this character? What is it in the, in the life of this character that makes them behave the way they are? And if certain things happen, what do you think that character might do? So we were, we were taking the, a, a book from another author and we were privately interpreting it ourselves. Well, that got carried over into... Uh, it, it's not in just in the classroom now. You, you may have all been, a, some of you may have been a part of this. There are people who have a reading group, and you'll take a book, and you'll, you'll read a chapter, and then you get together, and you read it and say, well, this is what I got out of this chapter. It could be a work of fiction. It could be nonfiction, a history book. It could be a, a book of the Bible. But again, it's private interpretation. This is what I think this means. And now that carried over further into people who will do Bible studies and they'll get together and they'll read a portion of Scripture and they sit around and talk about, well, this is what this means to me. I'll tell you, if you want to know what Scripture says, what God has communicated, you don't want to know what that verse means to me. You want to know what God intended when He wrote it. Don't you? And so Peter is, is warning people, don't, don't, uh, don't look at Scripture with some kind of private interpretation. Scripture explains itself very well. Look for uh, parallel passages. If, you've, if you run across a verse that doesn't make sense, look at other things that Scripture has to say on that same topic. And God is quite able to explain His Word. Again, He chose to communicate with us. He didn't cho- choose just to put a bunch of facts out there. He chose to communicate and to, to get his point across to us. So it's not private interpretations that we're looking for. Uh, that, again, that term inspiration, it means God breathed. It means that all of the words, all of the thoughts, all of the intents, they were all inspired by God. And sometimes the writers actually heard God speak out loud. You remember when Moses stood before the burning bush? He heard God speaking out of that burning bush. He heard an audible voice. When uh, Samuel was a little boy, he heard the Lord speaking to him. So sometimes people actually heard the voice of God speaking to them, and then they were able to record his words. Other times, the words, I think they were just impressed upon people's minds, their hearts. Uh, Maybe in a vision they uh, heard or a dream, they may have heard the Lord speaking to them, but they recognized it was God's word, and then they were able to record that. But both uh, were, were just as important as uh, one as the other as God gave, he inspired his word to these folks. And the Old Testament writers, they use this term, thus saith the Lord, over 2,000 times in the Old Testament. These were people who knew that God was speaking to them, giving them the message. And so I think that's very good, don't you? It's not like, well, you know, Kevin told me to write this down last week, so I think I'll write it down and I'll call it the book of Clint. That wouldn't help anybody, would it? Because Kevin and I are both uh, fallible. Um, me, maybe more than he is. So uh, God was speaking to these folks. And the Old Testament writers, 
they understood this. And that's who, that's who uh, Timothy or uh, Paul and Peter are referring to. They're referring to the Old Testament scriptures because in, in their day, the New Testament didn't exist as it does now. It hadn't all been completed. And so they're referring to this, and these people said over 2,000 times, thus saith the Lord, this is God's work, and therefore we take it seriously. So what we're left with is that that God-breathed scripture, it carries the full weight of God's authority. That's what we have here in, within the Bible. That's God's authority. And so it explains, doesn't it, why, there, why generations of preachers have been willing to preach this word regardless of what anybody thought about it or regardless of what the personal consequences would be? If you've ever read Fox's Book of Martyrs, you see the number, just the magnitude of the number of people who gave their lives because they preached this word and they, they refused to go back on it. They might be arrested. They might be put on trial and, and given the option. You're either going to recant your faith, you're going to walk it back, or you're going to be burned at the stake. And there were people who said, no, I'm not going to walk it back. This is the word of God. I, I, don't, I don't regret having said this. And people gave their lives for it. Why would they do that? Because they knew it was the Word of God, that it was it carried the full authority of Him. So without any regard for public opinion or personal consequences, people preached it, and they still do. We still hear about people in, in the world today that are losing their lives because they stand firm on the Word of God, and they say, "I can't, I can't go back. I can't, I can't walk away from that. It is God's Word." And so that that's very serious, isn't it? Charles Ryrie. Defined, uh, you may remember Charles Ryrie. He was he was a he's gone to be with the Lord now. He was a preacher. He was a, he was a theologian. He was a writer. There's a, uh, he, there's a Bible, the Ryrie Study Bible, that has a lot of his study notes in it. He was a professor at uh, Dallas Theological Seminary. I think he was a dean of one of the departments for some period of time. But anyway, he was a biblical scholar. And he had this to say about biblical inspiration. He said that. Uh, he, he defined it as God's superintending of human authors so that using their own individual personalities, they composed and recorded without error in the words of the original autographs, his revelation to man. He said God superintended it. The human writers weren't left to themselves. It's, it's, it's good for humans to have people as bosses supervising, superintending them sometimes, isn't it? It's good for little children if you give them a task to do that, that you, you, you keep an eye on them. They can go astray really quick. Well, we can too. And so even the, the human authors, they could have gone astray had it not been for God leading them to record his message the way he wanted it recorded. And so he said they, uh, Ryrie says God superintended them. It just is, the scriptures were not just the, the result of some kind of human genius. Some of these men may have been very smart. Uh, we, we're, we're led to believe that Moses was very well educated. He was brought up in Pharaoh's household. And so he would have, the Egyptians at that time, they, they had a, a huge amount of knowledge of science and mathematics, medical uh, techniques of their day, um, astronomy. They, they were very well educated people. And so the, the, the idea would be that Moses would have been very educated. But it's not Moses' great education that allowed God to, to use him to record the first five books of the Bible. It was God's inspiration that did it. On the other hand, we are uh, somewhat led to believe that um, Peter, James, John, Andrew, these were, these were somewhat poor fishermen. Maybe they weren't the best educated people in the world. And yet, 
what we see in the New Testament and the, the writings of these men is, is incredible. Why? Well, you know, they were reveling in their ignorance. No, that's not what it was at all. They, the Word of God was given to them by the Spirit of God, and they recorded it. And so God was superintending them. He said, Ryder uh, also said they used their individual personalities. And this is where it gets good, because God didn't just dictate the Word or His message to these men. He used their own vocabularies. You know, those fishermen had a completely different set of vocabulary than Moses did. Completely different set of vocabulary than David did. David was a fighting man. He started out as a, as a shepherd, tending sheep, and then he became a warrior. Solomon, he was a more peaceful man. He wasn't a man of war, so his vocabulary would have been different. Think about Daniel. Daniel spent uh, most of his life living in Babylon, and so his vocabulary would be different. His, his figures of speech would be different than the other writers. And God incorporated all of those things into the Scripture, um, their grammar even. If you read some of the some of the uh, gospel accounts, I look at it and I think, wow, that grammar doesn't sound quite right. And it was because they, they, these are different people; they're coming from different ways, and yet the Lord was still allowed or, or allowed those grammatical changes to enter in, and yet it was still His Word, and so He was able to use these men. And so all of that was incorporated, and it was all incorporated, as Ryrie points out, without error. God's inspiration of Scripture. It excludes any errors from ever having been in those original manuscripts. Now, we know that what we have in front of us, this is not the original copy that, that Moses wrote or that Isaiah wrote or Jeremiah or any of the, the uh, Scripture writers. And we know that they're copied. They were copied very meticulously. And so the, the original copy had absolutely no errors. The copies might have had a punctuation error, or they might have transposed, a dyslexic copyist could have transposed a couple of letters. But you know, there's never, uh, the scholars who have studied it, they've never found any significant error in any of the copies. And we'll talk about that a, a little more in a few minutes. Historically, even when errors have been found in one copy compared to another copy, it's been relatively few and basically of little consequence. Isn't that amazing? That the, the Word of God, um, the printing press was invented. Does anybody remember the date? Like 400, uh, 1400 or something like that maybe? I may be wrong. Somewhere along in there. Before that, everything had to be copied by hand. Every generation had to copy their own. And when, if you had a copy of the, of the Bible and it was wearing out, you better get somebody to copy you a new one, right? They did, they did this generation after generation after generation. And still, there were no... There were essentially no errors of any consequence introduced. What, how does that happen? By the power of God. It doesn't happen by weak people doing it themselves or genius people doing it themselves. God gave his word and he protected it. So uh, that was Ryrie's definition of uh, biblical inspiration. What we're, what we're left with then is, is that God's, or well, scripture is God's message to humanity. He chose to communicate with us, and that's the way he did it. And Christians might differ on a, on a whole lot of things, but a primary belief that the Scripture is God's Word, that's something we can't differ on. We have to agree with that. And if, if we're uh, trying to agree with people who say, no, I don't believe that's the Word of God, uh, that's, that's a matter to break faith with someone on. Like, I'm sorry, I can't, I can't go with that. This is God's Word. And if you don't believe that, I don't know how to help you. I can continue to tell you, 
And I can pray for you, but I can't really help you if you're not going to base your faith on this, if you're not going to base your, your faith and practice on this word, I don't know how to help, right? We're just left with that. The Baptist Confession of Faith of uh, 1689, it's a, a lot of churches base uh, their, their confessions or their statements of faith on this. Article 1, Section 1, it tells, tells about the Holy Scriptures. Listen to what it says. This is somewhat old English. It's not modern English. It says, The Holy Scripture is the only sufficient, certain, and infallible rule of all saving knowledge, faith, and obedience. Although the light of nature and the works of creation and providence manifest the goodness, the wisdom, and power of God, so much that man is left without any excuse, they're not sufficient to provide that knowledge of God and His will which is necessary for salvation. You can look at, at things outside and you can say, God must have created that. And you can come to that. And they, they bring us to a point where we're without excuse, but the beautiful flowers are not enough to tell us how to be saved, are they? They just tell us there is a Creator and we need to be looking for Him. We need to be trying to find Him. It says, Therefore it pleased the Lord at sundry times and in divers manners to reveal Himself and to declare His will to His church and afterward for the better preserving and propagating of the truth and for the more sure establishment and comfort of the church, protecting it against the corruption of the flesh and the malice of Satan and the world, it pleased the Lord to commit His revealed truth wholly to writing. It says, basically, and Scripture does teach this, and at diverse times in the past, or at different times in the past, God spoke to people out of a burning bush or in a vision or something like that. But there came a point in time when God said, we're not going to do this anymore. That's not the way I'm going to communicate with people. Now I'm going to, I'm going to give them a written word, something they can read, something they can hold in their hands, something they can memorize. So if they lose their copy, it's still up here. And that's the way he chose to do it. He said, and then he, this, um, the Baptist Confession says, Therefore the Holy Scriptures are most necessary, those former ways by which God revealed His will unto His people having now ceased. God, we cannot count on God speaking to us audibly anymore, can we? We don't have that promise, but we do have the Word of God. So what's the extent of uh, this idea of verbal and uh, plenary biblical inspiration? Well, let's talk. Let's look a little about. Uh, I'm getting really tongue-tied this morning. Let's look at what it means: the verbal plenary inspiration. <coughs> it means that those original autographs or those original manuscripts. It means that they were inspired in their entirety. Now, copies of those are not considered to be inspired; only the original. But we have to understand this. The copies are also not considered to be filled with errors. They were very meticulously copied. And we've heard the stories about how the, uh, the, the scribes, they, were, they took that very seriously, what they were doing, because they knew they were handling the Word of God. They did not want to get any word wrong. They didn't want to get any, even the letters wrong. And when, when people have made scholars have made comparisons of the, the ancient manuscripts, they actually have found really, really old manuscripts. And then they had some very new ones. And they had been copied by hand over the time period. They even found some that were as much as a thousand years difference between the original, what they, the oldest one they could find and the newest one. And they found so few errors, it was just inconsequential. And none of the errors impacted any kind of um, uh, doctrine. Nothing that, that would affect our, uh, us in, in matters of faith and practice. Again, that's, that is God's amazing um, uh, protection of His Word. 
And how did that come apart? Well, or come about? Well, part of it was because of the care that the transcribers took. They would even take, um, they would count the number of words. They would count the number number of letters in words. It almost like uh, Kevin, you you got a programming background, right? It's almost like the parody bit that you would put in old code just to make sure you had the right number of bits in the line, and you would make those kinds of comparisons. Well, they did this kind of thing, and they did it by hand. Because they wanted, they, they wanted so much to make sure they weren't doing this, um, uh, introducing errors. To them, it wasn't just a job. They, they recognized, this is God's Word that I'm handling. And if I get it wrong, someone's going someone's gonna to go off half-cocked in, in the wrong direction. They're going to think God gave a message that He didn't give, so I've got to do this right. And so, uh, to them, it was very important that they do that. But more importantly, God promised Himself that He would preserve His Word. He didn't just rely on the copyists to do a good job. In 1 Peter 1.25, we're told the Word of the Lord endureth forever. It won't ever change. In Psalm 119, in verse 89, we read this, Forever, O Lord, Thy Word is settled in heaven. It's not going to change. It's settled in heaven. People can burn copies of it. They can throw it away. They can confiscate it. They can change it. And, and copies we have on earth, but it's not changing in heaven. The original is still there. Isaiah 40, verse 8 said, The grass withers, or withereth, the flower fadeth, but the word of our God shall stand forever. Again, it's not going to change. God did not just rely on these, these transcribers to make sure their copies were good. He doesn't even rely on photocopiers to make sure it's all right. He says, I'm going to make sure my word is preserved and it won't ever change. So we know that the actual words of Scripture were inspired. Um, and, and that means not just the entire thoughts. We talked about this a few minutes ago. You might Some people look at it, well, um, and they'll, they'll do a modern translation and they'll take a, a sentence like uh, 2 Timothy 3.16, all Scripture is given by inspiration of God, and they may reword it a little bit. And they'll say, well, the idea is the same as it was before. So it's okay. It doesn't really matter what words I use. It's not just the ideas that God inspired. It's the words themselves. They, have been, they were inspired by the Lord. Scripture repeatedly refers to its message as being God's words to His people. God's words, not just God's thoughts. The words themselves are inspired. God superintended. That is, He gave uh, the human writers the ideas. He gave them the words. He used their distinctive style. And all of that without strictly dictating anything to them. He let them use their their style of conversation, their style of writing to come across. And that's refreshing, isn't it? I I love to read different... There's different authors that I love to read. Some of them, it's different preachers I like to listen to. Some of them come across, uh, even if you're reading it, they come across kind of stodgy. You ever read stuff like that? And especially if you read... I like to read old commentaries and old sermons. People from 100 years ago, 200 years ago, 300 years ago, they have more time on their hands than we do. And the, the, I, w- I worked for a guy when we lived in Georgia. And Georgians, they're a little slower even than North Carolina in, care, in conversation. Their, their drawl is a little bit slower and, and all this. And my boss said that he had met some people who weren't from Georgia. He was from New Jersey. And he said, people where I'm from can say good morning in 10,000 words or less. The people in Georgia, not so much. Is that, that was his, his point. Well, some of the, the, the writers uh, or speakers that we listen to, they might be a little stodgy, they might be a, lot, a little really wordy, 
others it's like they just speak to you and it just rolls off the tongue and it's like that makes sense to me I understand that God used different people in different uh, time periods to write the scriptures and he used those different styles and so some of the books of the Bible we look at it and we say I, I can follow that others we look at and you think ah, that's a little tougher the book of Ezekiel is a tough one to follow isn't it and, and you you're reading through there and you think, I know Ezekiel saw something. I know he was trying to get it across, but I'm not quite getting it. And so you look for commentaries that try to bring it down into a, a simple, simple English. But see, the Lord used all of these different men to get His Word across, and He inspired it all. Inspiration includes, by the way, inerrancy, which means no errors. Not only is it inspired by God, but it doesn't include errors. Uh, that's a different study, but it's good to know there aren't errors here isn't it? That we can, we can rely on this. Okay, that's, that's a, a meaning of, of what it means uh, when we say that the Bible is uh, verbally inspired, it's plenary, uh, has the concept of plenary inspiration. All of the words are inspired. But what does the Bible itself have to say about inspiration? I will read a series of verses. You don't have to look at these. You don't have to turn there. One thing, uh, first thing, God... Uh, breathed His Word to human writers. We've already looked at this in 2 Timothy 3.16. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God. The second thing that we can see in Scripture regarding inspiration, human writers were moved by the Holy Spirit. And we've already looked at that as well. 2 Peter 1.21 Holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. So we know those things. The third thing we can look at, God gave specific commands to men to write His Word. Specific commands I'm going to read you a couple of verses. In Exodus 17, verse 14, the Lord said unto Moses, write this for a memorial in a book. Moses, I want you to write this down. Take this down so that other people will be able to read it later on. Jeremiah in uh, chapter 30 and verse 2 says, Thus speaketh the Lord God of Israel, saying, Write thee all the words that I have spoken unto thee in a book. So God spoke to Jeremiah, and he said, Jeremiah, I've told you a lot of things. I've shown you a lot of things. I want you to write them down. So God himself instructed people to write his word down, to record it. A fourth thing we can look at about what Scripture has to say about inspiration, references quoting God as the author of certain passages show up in Scripture. Matthew uh, 15, Matthew 15, verse 4, reads like this, For God commanded, saying, Honor thy father and mother. And he that curseth father or mother, let him die to death. God commanded it. God is the one who authored those words. So they are definitely his words. Acts 28, verse 25, we read this. And when they agreed not among themselves, they departed. After that Paul had spoken one word, and here's that one word, well spake the Holy Ghost by Isaiah the prophet. He says, Isaiah didn't make that stuff up himself. This was Paul attesting to this in the New Testament days. Isaiah was, wrote what God told him to write. So we can, we can trust it. Jesus attested to the authority of Scripture. John 10, verse 35, he said, you probably remember these, verse, uh, these words, the Scripture cannot be broken. It cannot. That was the Lord Jesus himself. He, as part of the Godhead, had inspired those words to be written, hadn't he? And so he says they can't be broken. The New Testament refers to other parts of New Testament as Scripture also. They've, many of the, the writers in the, in the New Testament refer to the Old Testament as being inspired. But in uh, 2 Peter 3, verse 15, we read this, 
uh, Paul, according, this is Peter writing now, and he's talking about the Apostle Paul. He said, Paul, according to the wisdom given unto him, hath written unto you, as also in all his epistles, speaking in them of these things, in which are some things hard to be understood. We know that, right? Some of the stuff that Paul wrote was hard to understand. In which are some things hard to be understood, which they that are un- unlearned and unstable rest, as they do also the other scriptures uh, to their own destruction. He said that may be difficult to understand some of what Paul writes, but his writings are among the other scriptures, the other words of God as well. So he, uh, Peter was saying, what Paul has written to you, that's the word of God, and it should be included in here. So that even the New Testament refers to other portions of the New Testament as being scripture. And then a, a, a seventh thing, that we can look at is what Scripture has to say about inspiration is that the writers were conscious that they were writing God's Word. Uh, Paul writing in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 2, he said, uh, verse 13, Which things also we speak, not in the words which man's wisdom teacheth, but which the Holy Ghost teacheth. He says, The Holy Spirit gave me these words. And that's the reason I'm giving them to you, those of you in Corinth, because you need to know this. It's God's Word. So those are just some of the things that Scripture itself has to say. Now, uh, just to to wrap up, because Scripture is divinely inspired, we can trust it. We can trust every bit of it. We can trust it as what we need uh, to guide every aspect of our lives because to read it is to have God speak directly to us, isn't it? They're His words. So as we read these words, it's God speaking to us in this generation, to every generation. They're just as important to us as they were uh, as as the, the, the epistles to the Corinthians, they're just as important to us as they were when Paul wrote those words to the people of Corinth. Or uh, when um, Moses recorded the, the first five books of the Bible, or when any of the prophets wrote their prophecies. Now, some of them may not apply to us quite as directly as they did to those people, but they still apply to us, they, because it is God speaking directly to us wherever we read it and whenever we read it. And that's good. Because it means our faith is based on the very same thing as Christians who lived 100 years ago or 200 years ago or 10 years after Christ ascended into heaven. We're all believing the same truth because it's God's Word. And it's imperative for us as Christians to keep in mind what Paul wrote to, to the Romans in Romans 10:17, because he said, Faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by what? The Word of God. It is the Word of God. If we're going to see people saved... It's because we're going to point them to this word and say, this is what God says to you. You're lost and you need to be saved. And this is the only way you're going to be. So we have to remember that. And if we go around with any doubt in our minds that this is the word of God, we're not carrying, we're not uh, being the right examples, are we? We have to hang our hats on the fact this is the word of God. And we have to, we have to teach it, we have to preach it without any apology, just like the people who have come before us. So I hope this has been helpful. Let's pray. Father, thank you uh, again for allowing us to look into your word. Thank you for these verses that confirm to us that uh, we're not looking at a book uh, that's a collection of cunningly devised fables. They're not just uh, pretty stories. They're not just um, uh, someone's account of historical records. This is the word of God we're looking at. And we're thankful, Lord, that you chose to communicate to us, that you chose to do it with words that we could read, that we could hold copies of in our hands, we can memorize, we can hide these words in our heart, we can set these words to music so it's easier sometimes to remember them. 
But Lord, we're thankful that it's your message, that it has been inspired by you, that Holy Spirit has moved men of old to write these words. And we're so thankful, Lord, that uh, for matters of faith and practice, we don't have to wonder what it is that you expect of us. You've given it very clearly in your word. We're thankful that people who have never trusted Christ, they don't have to wonder how they can be saved. It's, it's recorded very clearly in your word. And so we pray that, Lord, you would move in this church, that uh, it would be a, a, a church that continues to share the gospel with uh, the people around in this community and the people who attend here. We pray that as uh, we go into the 11 o'clock service today, Father, that you might prepare our hearts as we sing your praises. Lord, would, uh, would you accept our worship? We pray, Father, if there are people here today who are hurting, that you might uh, suit a need uh, or suit a blessing to those needs, uh, that you would bring the people here who need to be here today and then speak to our hearts. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.